so sorry to the choir about the Gloria. Um, I'm used to singing in, in German and I couldn't get the Gloria tune in my head, so I was hoping you'd continue singing, but um, anyway, we'll try with the Our Father today. Um, and that's what the theme is, right, of the Gospel and of the readings. It's all about prayer and, and the Our Father. It's Luke's version, so it has two petitions less than Matthew's version, which we normally pray when we pray the Our Father, but that's what it's about. So I thought what we do today is kind of 10 quick principles of prayer, because that's what today is kind of about. It's about prayer. So maybe you call it 10 commandments of prayer or 10 principles or 10 things that maybe prayer should do with us or that we should do in prayer, or kind of 10 attitudes, however you want to look at them. So let's get started. So first of all, our, our Father, our Father. So that's interesting. It doesn't say my father, and obviously he's our, my father as well, but he's our father. So this idea in the Christian life that it's not just about us, or just like about me, but it's also about us. It's not just about you know, my life and my precious. I don't know if anybody's seen Lord of the Rings. You know, it's where the Gollum is there and he's kind of, my treasure, and he's, he's all just kind of curved in on himself. And the human person, I think this is one thing that Christ really um, touches on um, again and again in his, in his teaching, is that um, the human person, if he just thinks about himself, he kind of gets sick and he gets frustrated because he's living an existential lie, basically, right? Because if we're images of God and God is love, then we're only going to be happy and... and and fulfilled if we live love, if we live as egotists and just kind of for ourselves, we're kind of missing the point. And we're, we're not living who we are. We're living on the existential level, um, an existential lie. Um, and, and there, I think, the more we live in the truth of our beings, which is to be an image of love, that's what our calling is. And because love also has to do with freedom, you can't force someone to live love, right? You could also be, I mean, you can live a lie if you like. Um, but I think that's one of the, 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 the basic thing how Christ starts off with. He starts with our Father. That means everybody's my brother and my sister. And, and he's our Father, so it's not just praying for our own needs, it's also praying um, for the needs of the world, for those around us. So that's kind of the first principle. The second principle is Father. He says, Father. And as if, as if to say, well, you've got to get this straight. Now, what do you think about God? Who is God for you? Is he like a tyrant? Is he... I mean, what is he? What is your picture of God? And it's interesting that Christ calls God Father. He calls, he says, Father. And he's trying to bring us into this relationship with the Father. In the Old Testament, there's two different words for God that's used. One is Elohim and the other one is Yahweh. And Elohim is used over 9,000 times. And Yahweh is used over 5,000 times. And Father is used 17 times. So, I mean, 17 times is significant, but in you know, comparison to 9,000 times, it's not like a lot. And it's interesting how it seems that sin, starting with Adam and Eve, you know, the story with the, with the serpent and all that, kind of destroyed the image of, 
who we thought God was. You know, God is a tyrant. If you remember the story, the serpent comes to Eve and says, you know, you don't trust him. He's not a dad. He's not a father. He's a, he's a tyrant. He's trying to make your life difficult. So actually, you know, what he says is good is actually bad. And what he says is bad is actually good. So, you know, you decide what good and bad is for you. So you kind of, you grab the apple and you decide what's going to make you happy. Don't trust him. You know, he's, he's, um, he woke up on the wrong side of bed this morning and he's trying to figure out how to make your life miserable. So he invented these Ten Commandments and God knows what else. No? So I think one of the things Christ is trying to make us realize, well, God is a father. And obviously in our society and because of sinfulness and our weakness, etc., sometimes we've had bad experience with our own fathers. So sometimes we need to kind of purify that idea that even we have a fatherhood. But Christ is trying to make a point and is saying, look, God is Father. And now if the word Father was used seven times referring to God in the Old Testament, Christ uses the word Father 17 times in his very first sermon. And he's just getting started, you know. And actually, he doesn't refer to God in any other way. He always calls God Father. And that's trying to make a point, you know, that he is... He's not someone like distant and, and far away and that's not interested in us. And he's not kind of an energy, but he's, he's a person, he's a father who is interested in each one of us. And, and actually he explains to us what fatherhood is all about. And he's trying to give us this attitude of, of trust and of, and of um, well, how would I go to my father? You know, and then he explains it later on. He says, well, which father of you would give his child a snake when he's asking for a fish? Or when he's asking for an egg, give him a scorpion. You know, like, he likes you, you know. God just doesn't love you, he likes you. He kind of likes you. That's kind of nice to know, right? So our image of God, that makes a big difference how we pray. Because if I see God as kind of the tyrant, and the, and in German you say the Spielverderber, the one who's trying to, like, kind of mess up my game that I'm trying to play in this world, and he's, he's always interested in making my life miserable, well, that's, you know, I'm going to deal with God in a different way when I pray, than if he's, if, as when I'm convinced that he's my dad. So, our Father, second principle, third principle, who art in heaven. And I think that's very good to keep reminding ourselves of. On the one hand, that there is a heaven, right? And that this, what we're living here, is not heaven. Um, you know, if you haven't noticed that, wake up and smell the coffee. Even though it's kind of difficult here in Powell River and Wildwood, I know, because it's such a beautiful place. But I think all of us, we make, you know, again and again, that experience of sickness, of problems, of, of relationship problems, or whatever. And we realize, well, this is not paradise. And every attempt to make it into paradise turns into an ideology, ideology, as we've seen in the last centuries. Um, and, and to remind ourselves, well, for us Christians, heaven exists. And heaven is what gives meaning to what we do today. Um, I, I find it very difficult, even from a philosophical point of view, to try to justify purpose and meaning and sense to this present moment if there's not a future. Like, if there's not heaven, then at the end of the day, really what we're doing today really doesn't make sense. It has no, has no meaning. It has no, because at the end of the day, we're all going to end up a big, in a big grave anyway, and the, big, the whole universe is going to end up in a big grave. And then, really, it doesn't matter if your name was Adolf Hitler or Mother Teresa, because at the end of the day, it doesn't really make a difference. And, and so what's, it's not like we Christians say, well, you know, we console ourselves with the future life, etc. And so we don't really care about the present moment. Well, on the contrary, it's because of the future life, what we're doing right now makes a whole bunch of sense. And this is why we're trying to, you know, live life to the full and fight for justice and fight for charity and fight for a society um, where, 
where there is justice and mercy and love and, and, and forgiveness and all these things because, because if, it, makes, it makes a whole bunch of sense. It have, we have purpose because there's a future, because there's a heaven. And the other idea about heaven is, especially when we're praying, is to remember heaven is not some faraway galaxy like millions of light years away, you know, where we need these binoculars to find God out there somewhere. But heaven is very close. It's another dimension which is much more real than ours. You know? Pope Benedict once in reflecting, well, what is heaven? Well, he says, well, God is heaven. And where is God? Well, in him we live and move and are. You know, we're, the creatures are more in God than God in creatures, St. Thomas Aquinas would say. So this idea that you know, we don't have to get on the internet to speak to God. We don't need to worry, well, we don't have satellite coverage like in our trip. That um, I was really happy to see that the peak made a little article on our trip um, with our, the young people from Vienna through, through the mountains this week. And there's moments where you don't have satellite coverage. You don't have any coverage. You can't, you know, it's difficult to communicate. But with God, it's easy to communicate. You just open your heart, open your mouth, you know. So anyway, your heart in heaven, that's third principle. Fourth principle, hallowed be thy name. That's an old English word and means to make holy, to make holy. And holiness um, has, comes from originally from this idea of setting apart setting apart and, and realizing, well, you know, you don't hallow your, your boat and you don't hallow your relationship and you don't hallow your house, but you hallow God. It's, it's giving him another place. It's giving him a certain, like the place of supreme value in your life. It's also interesting that when we talk about worship, it's also an old English word which comes from the idea of worth. You know, something has worth. What it has the highest worth to you, that's what we worship. And... And the Our Father reminds us, well, there's one thing we should be worshipping and not many other things. And, and this is also a very beautiful idea because if God is first, well, then we're not slave of anything else. And this is kind of the idea also about you know, the hierarchy of values to know, okay, what is first in my life and what is second? Where is God and where is my relationships and where is my marriage and where is my workplace and where is my free time? And where's my health and where's my, you know, the different things in our lives. It's very good to think once in a while about um, ordering that again. Maybe when things have kind of got turned around, you know, um, things maybe are in a place where they shouldn't be. And, and the, our Father and prayer in general helps us to reorder ourselves according to a proper set of hierarchy of values. Um, fourth idea, fifth principle, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. While well, Jesus is kind of the kingdom and his will to be done, the Father's will to be done is what gives us true freedom. And this is kind of a cult, countercultural statement, right? This idea that to do somebody else's will is going to make me free. But the Christian is extremely convinced of this idea, you know, that, that the greatest freedom is to choose the greatest good. And freedom, well... There's two parts of freedom, right? There's freedom from coercion, from, from being forced to do something. But that's only one part of freedom, and that's good, and that's important. But like, keeping open the possibilities at the end of the day leads to a lack of freedom because I don't make a decision. And freedom is for a decision. If I'm thinking, well, you know, Starbucks or Tim Hortons? Tim Hortons or Starbucks? Or if I'm thinking... A Whopper or Big Mac? A Big Mac or a Whopper? A Whopper or Big Mac? If I don't make a decision, I'm going to be a slave of my indecision. Right? I mean, freedom is there to make a decision. That's what makes us have a great sense of our freedom because we're Lord of ourselves. 
We are master of ourselves and we're no longer slaves of our indecision. And I've used my freedom to make a decision. And the longer we go on in life, we kind of even um, start limiting our freedom out of freedom, right? In a certain sense. Because we're making more and more decisions. And after, you know, I'm doing now this work. I don't have the possibility to do other works because I've made a decision. to I've married this woman or this husband. And, and I'm, you know, I've said no doing that to 500 million other possibilities. But I'm hopefully, while I'm eating my Whopper, I'm no longer thinking about, oh God, I don't have a Big Mac right now. But I'm happy because I'm eating my Whopper. No, freedom is for making a decision. And actually, John Paul II would say once, a human person has much more desire for love than for freedom. Freedom is the means, love is the goal. No, we need freedom um, to be, able, be capable of loving. But um, love without a decision is kind of like, it's... A facade. It's not real. It's we have to make a decision, and that's this is what um, this idea of Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done reminds us of. Because the higher the goal, the higher the thing that I choose, the more free I become, and that's why when I choose the ultimate good, which is God, I'm going to be the freest of all. Because he who kneels down before God is not going to kneel down before anything else. No political system, no ideology, not expectations of others, not my egotism. I'm a free person because God is first. Right? And the Our Father helps us to remind us of that. And, and it's like he's saying, okay, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's, Lord, help me that thy will be done also my life. And that I become freer and therefore more capable of love and more mature and more best version of myself in doing so. Or to say it in a more kind of old-fashioned way, to become holy myself. Anyway, sixth principle is give us this day our daily bread. It's kind of a weird translation actually of um, the Greek word which is epiousios, which only appears in Greek literature in two places, and that is in the Gospel of St. Luke and the Gospel of St. Matthew when referring to the Our Father. It's kind of difficult to translate. Well, it usios is substance, and epi means above, so it's kind of, you could translate it with super substantial bread. So the Church Fathers, a lot of times, would, would kind of apply this to the Eucharist, what we, what we celebrate today. You know, we were, give us this Give us our super substantial bread. And it reminds us, this, this thing in the Our Father, that there's, yes, it's good to ask for bread, the normal bread. But there's a type of bread that, that's going to satisfy us. Also, our souls, our thirst, our, our, you know, the, this kind of hole in our heart that we realize we try to stuff it with normal bread sometimes. Or with alcohol, or with pornography, or with um, work, or with... Um, getting a praise and esteem from other people or from with a thousand other things. But at the end of the day, the only thing that's going to be able to fill that hole in my heart is God. And not alone from bread does the human person live, Christ reminds us. No, And this prayer in the Our Father reminds us, hey, I'm asking you for this other type of bread that's going to fill my heart. And not just for the normal bread, even though I'm asking for that as well. Seventh principle, um, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who you know, who have debted against us, who have been indebted against to us. And this idea of forgiveness is such a deep Christian principle. Um, we could talk all day just about that, but we got to move on. Um, for me as a priest, this idea of forgiveness is one of the most difficult aspects in our pastoral ministry because, um, you know, I, I've had the opportunity to hear a lot of confessions in my life, probably thousands of confessions. 
And it is just a few times, thank God, that I couldn't give the absolution because I realized, well, there was no really a wanting of the absolution. And most of the times, it's, I've counted on one, on one hand, really, but um, it's because somebody doesn't want to forgive. You know? um, and it's, it's, it's strange, and I'm sure you probably made this experience of where, I don't know, some, something similar to what I experienced, where somebody comes and they've been married for 30-some years, and they've got marriage problems, and then you start talking, you know, start probing where did it begin, and then it's, well, during the honeymoon on the cruise ship, you know, and then one of the persons was playing cards with the other person, and, and the other had a headache, and they went out to sleep, and they felt really offended, and you don't care for me, and, and all of a sudden you're talking to them, and it seems like this happened this morning, but it happened 38 years ago, you know? and, and that's really amazing, you know? and it's, it's this thing of lack of forgiveness, that, and I don't want to make fun of it, because I realize obviously it didn't stop with the card game during the cruise ship on the honeymoon, right, there was a lot of other things that happened, but but if you think of it objectively, it's insane, right? That we hold on to grudges so long and it, it makes our hearts bitter and it destroys us spiritually. And, it, and it's just so almost diabolical. I find it almost diabolical because you're speaking to the person and all of a sudden this theme comes up and you think, all of a sudden you think you're just talking to somebody else. It's, it's really, really hard to deal with. And, and I think we, we need to remember, okay, well, forgive us our trespasses. Why do we forgive? Because we've been forgiven by God. Right, and and we realize that we're just as much in need of forgiveness as anybody else. And I want to forgive, and that doesn't necessarily mean that my emotions want to forgive, and that I feel like forgiving. How did Christ feel like on the cross? Hey, th- guys, thanks that I'm nailed here on the cross. It's so wonderful to be here. You know, great that you're trying to destroy my mission. No, I don't think so. I think it was a really hard decision, and it seems in the original Greek that Christ continued saying that. He just didn't say it once. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Because probably he had temptation to send a few lightning bolts from heaven to kind of get rid of all these people a few times. So, Father, forgive. And then, eighth principle, lead us not into temptation. This is kind of a, a way of speaking of, 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 of the time where actually you could also trans, uh, translate it with lead us not into the ultimate test. And... God tests us, and he does so because he thinks, weirdly, oddly, that we can overcome the test, and that being tested is what strengthens our character, and that being tested and going through the test and making it, um, we don't become couch potatoes sitting on, you know, at home and doing nothing. But being tested is something which, which strengthens us. It's, it's something which makes us stronger as people coming through tests. But what we're asking is that we don't succumb to the test and that we don't fall into evil. Um, and, and also, here's interesting, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know, this idea that there is something which is called evil, and that's the ultimate, that's the worst thing that can happen to the human person, is that he succumbs to evil, that his character is destroyed. And then the last two ideas, which doesn't come from the Our Father, but from the other readings, and that is... Um, Christ tells us to persevere in our prayer, also praying for others. Um, He who asks, receives, everyone who searches, finds, everyone who knocks, the door will be opened to you. And he gives this idea of this guy who goes to his friend, you know, I've got some friends coming over for lunch. Well, they didn't come over for lunch, they came over for a midnight snack. And he goes to his neighbor and says, can you give me something to eat? Now, who of us would do such a thing? 
I sure wouldn't be totally... I, who, I mean, I'm not going to go to my neighbor at midnight and knock on his door and can give me a piece of bread, you know? And, and the word that's used here in the original language is almost like he shamelessly asks. Like, and, and yet, God is asking us, he's, he's giving us that as an example of how we should pray to him. He wants to be shameless and ask at midnight and ask at whatever hour of the day and, you know, I need help. And not to stop and not to stop and not to stop praying for the things that we need. Um, because, yeah, that's how you would like us to pray to him. And the last idea, um, from the first reading, I love this first reading. If you remember this story from Abraham, which I'm sure we've heard so often, no one needs are there 50 righteous? And what if there's not 50? What if there's 40? And Lord, can I speak again? And what if there's only 30? And what if there's only 20? And what if there's only 10? Um, this idea of real love for people. Um, Sodom and Gomorrah was not a nice place. They did some pretty nasty things. And, and yet, Abraham seems to be worried about them. He seems to be interested in these people. You know? And I don't know how it is for you, but I think sometimes... Um, I'm in Vienna. We're trying to start a church, a parish for unchurched people. And, and I noticed how at the beginning, I, I needed to really do some soul searching and some heart searching because I realized a lot of times I really wasn't interested in these people. A lot of times, you know, say, well, I mean, look at they're messing up their lives. Let them go to hell in the wastebasket, you know. Like, who cares? You know, I'm, go- I'm doing good. And, I mean, a bit exaggerating, but I noticed that sometimes... Like, I would try maybe convince someone of things and of the, of the truth and smear it under their nose or, or throw it on them in front of their table. But was I really interested in, the, in them or was it about me trying to um, tell them the truth and, you know, be the better arguer? Or, and I think a lot of times people maybe in our, in our relationship that don't go to church or our kids or people that we love, that we love kind of, and, well, do we really love them? You know, and that's what Abraham seems to do. Like people who, who seem to be doing terrible things, and yet, you know, he doesn't swear at them. And you see them on television, maybe some politicians that you're not satisfied with, and you'd like to do all sorts of things and just blow them up in the air. And you say sometimes things, maybe to your friends in that moment, about other people, which is really scary, you know, almost. Because you look in your heart and you say, is that, like, am I calling myself a Christian? And, and, and I think like that about this person? Um, and, and that's the beautiful thing about us Christians, what our vocation is, right? Is to, to be able to discover in each and every person, doesn't matter what they think, what kind of ideology they have, what kind of lifestyle they have, but to discover in them something great, something that God has created, something beautiful, and, and to help them through our way that we deal with them, how we look at them, that they are able to discover something of their true identity in God through us, through the way that we deal with them. Right? And I think that's something also at, at the end here, maybe to think about once in a while, is you know, do I really love people? Do I really love people? And that's all, sometimes also a decision, not necessarily something emotional. And a typical example of where a heart needs to lead our emotions and not the other way around. You know, where we need to make a deep decision and, and, and guide our emotions and not let our emotions like, take us for a ride. So anyway, um, 
sorry for this kind of long homily, and but I'm gone for the next two years. So, <laughs> so, um, so just briefly summarizing. So we said there's ten principles that kind of attitudes, or whatever, in our prayer. So our so it says the idea is not just about me. It's Father. This idea of who is God for me is going to determine how I pray. Third, who is in heaven? This idea that there is a heaven, and that's what gives worth, value to what I do in the present moment, and also to realize, well, heaven is not far away. You know, I don't, like, I just open my heart. He's right here with us. Um, this idea of hallowed, you know, to, to set apart, to think about a hierarchy of values, what is of highest worth to me. The fifth principle, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, that God leads us to our true freedom, and the higher the good I choose, the more free I become. The sixth principles give us, principle is give us our sub, you know, super substantial bread. So yes, we're asking for real bread, but we're asking also for that bread that really fills our heart. And to think about that bread which really fills our heart. What is that bread which really fills the deepest longings of the, of the human person? The seventh principle, forgive us. You know, this idea that, well, is there somebody I need to forgive? You know, maybe like homework for the week, right? Is there someone I need to forgive or we need to give forgiveness and grant forgiveness? Um, lead us not into temptation. This idea of lead us not into the ultimate test that God tests us, not that we succumb, but that we become um, stronger in our character um, and, and that we don't want to fall into that ultimate temptation of saying no also to God. And then um, the ninth idea of perseverance in prayer and tenth, really love, um, love for sinners. Maybe this week, um, if there's no one you need to forgive, another kind of um, homework could be when you say the Our Father... To, to, to do it in a more conscious way. We're going to sing the Our Father today. I'm really happy that the choir had that idea. And to give it a little bit more relevance in today's Mass. But maybe when you say the Our Father in your, in your own home or before you, you, know, before you eat or whatever, um, to, to try to say it in a more conscious way. And like, um, if you really want to you know, go further, well, maybe to take some time this week, maybe... 10 minutes, 15 minutes, maybe even a half an hour, and just to say the different prayers of the Our Father in a slower way, like Our Father, and reflect on that a little bit. Amen.